Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober, right here on Green Earth Radio. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore on Green Earth Radio. Today, I continue my countdown to the Weston A. Price Foundation's annual Wise Traditions Conference in November. With six weeks to go until the conference, our guest is Tara Smith of Terra Firma Farms. Plus, our desserts will tell you how to live appropriately in the upcoming week. But first, let's go to our appetizers and find out what happened the past week in the world of real food. It's well known that Monsanto is spending millions of dollars on the No on 37 campaign to stop the California proposition requiring mandatory GMO labeling. What most don't know, though, is that other donors to the Prop 37 opposition are many of the big ag companies which have organic subsidiaries, such as Kellogg, which owns Morningstar, Dean Foods, which owns Horizon Organic, and Coca-Cola, which owns Adwala Juices. While these companies have organic options, it's clear that food safety isn't their main priority. It's important when shopping for organics to see if it's a truly independent company that has your best interest. In other California food news, earlier this week, Governor Jerry Brown signed into law AB 1616, the California Homemade Food Act. The bill allows for the sale of certain homemade food products to restaurants and grocery stores and directly to customers. This bill marks a huge victory in the rights for people to buy food from where they want, and hopefully other states will soon follow. Next, Trader Joe's is recalling its in-house brand of peanut butter over possible connections to a salmonella outbreak in 29 cases in 18 states. Most illnesses that occurred were with children under 18 so far, and fortunately nobody has died from it. This news should serve as a warning to be careful of what you buy, even if it's from a natural food store like Trader Joe's. Also, recent research from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem shows that a well-planned, high-fat diet can help with weight loss and gives your body a unique metabolism where instead of storing fats, the fats are used as energy when no food is available. The scientists did tests for 18 weeks with several groups of mice. One group was fed a high-fat diet at the same time and for the same length every day, while others included control groups with one eating a low-fat diet on a fixed schedule, one eating low-fat food unscheduled, and the last eating high-fat without any fixed time or length. Much is misunderstood about fat, and it's great to see research results that show its benefits. And finally, this past week, students at Mukwanago High School in Wisconsin, boycotted eating food from their cafeteria in protest of the new federal guidelines for school lunches. The new rules require public schools to serve more whole grains, only low-fat or non-fat milk, fruits and vegetables, and fewer items high in sugar or salt. The students claimed that the lunches left them hungry. While there are certainly some good changes in the school lunches, such as including more whole grains, fruits and vegetables, and less sugar, these lunches also follow a lot of the problems of nutritionism, specifically with not providing full-fat milk, which is beneficial for growing minds in children. I commend the students for standing up and saying that the new lunches aren't satisfying them. And now for our main course, which today is Food as Medicine. 
There are many problems with our healthcare system, and one of the biggest problems is not being able to prevent disease. Doctors are taught very little about nutrition in medical school. The medical field is very focused on the misleading low-fat diet, and the foods you find at grocery stores are loaded with artificial preservatives. I see people eating a real food as a step, as a big step in the solution to our healthcare crisis. There are two big problems with the standard American diet: meat from factory farmed animals and produce sprayed with toxic chemicals. These two issues can be avoided by bringing back mixed farms that use the full polyculture system. This also helps out the environment by replenishing the soil and reducing carbon emissions. Here to talk with me about using farming to fix our healthcare problem is Tara Smith of Terra Firma Farms. She previously had a successful executive career in the long-term care insurance industry and now owns a Beyond Organic farm called Terra Firma Farms which offers both pastured meats and seasonable seasonal produce. Tara, thank you so much for appearing on my show. Well, thanks for having me. It's fun to be able to share our sometimes hysterically funny experiences here since I didn't have a farming background and it's just gone so well. So I'm I'm excited to be able to talk about it. Well, I think it's very admirable what you do cuz uh, as listeners know right now we're doing a countdown to the Weston A. Price Foundation's right. Wise Traditions Conference and so we've had on uh, different speakers for the past few weeks. So when I read just about your background, I thought just that's perfect for our show. I mean, I love the uh, the model that you have. For for listeners, uh, you explain on your website four reasons, which is to provide clean, healthy food, heal the land, grow young farmers, and lastly, and this may be the most important thing, have a lot of fun. That's right. So it's a wonderful goal. And now it's very interesting that you started in the long-term insurance industry. So why don't you tell our listeners a little about how you made the transition from working in insurance to going into farming. Sure. So, you know, it was one of those things where I had 18 years in my career in long-term care insurance. So I started at a little company up in Seattle and then came down to California and opened up an office with 40 people selling long-term care insurance. And it's nursing home and home health care. And it it was a good, it was American Express product. And I, I, my career was, I started as a salesperson and then a manager and I grew a team and then I grew, you know, seven teams in California and then the West Coast and, you know, a few states moving in um, Colorado and Arizona and that. And, but the thing that's important about that isn't so much that um, it was a successful career is what I learned. I learned about business. I learned from just the salesperson all the way up through actuary data, which was you know, actually interesting to me for some weird reason, but it was a, a full career. I worked in claims. I worked in customer service. I, I worked as a vice president once GE bought our company. And so there was, there was a lot of things that applied once we took over farming. But what happened was a very innocent day in September in 2007, one of our children came home and had the book Omnivore's Dilemma from, from high school. And he said, hey, this is the book the parents are supposed to read. And when, you know, you all get together and talk about the book, and that's how the parents get to know each other at this high school. So I grabbed it, and it was a Friday afternoon, and I said, sure. So I started to read. And I, Michael, Michael Pollan is hysterically funny. He's the author. And he's a funny guy, sarcastic, you know, and, and I, but it also was a bit concerning. I got into two chapters, and I'm 
it was a bit shocking. I grew up in Michigan, and I ate Velveeta cheese and Wonder Bread for lunch. I had no clue about food, so it was quite a shock to me. Now, we live here in Petaluma, California. We're smack in the middle of one of the richest food sheds in the world, literally in the world. We're in it. It is it is an amazing, Northern California has an amazing amount of healthy, non-toxic, clean food. It's, it's shocking how much is here. And I knew nothing about it. I was buried in my insurance career. So reading through this book, I yelled at my husband, come in here, you got to hear this. And we spent probably the whole weekend reading, drinking wine and reading the book. And at the end of that, I, I could... I was in shock. I couldn't believe this was true. I actually didn't believe some of it. I thought this can't be right. So I spent three months investigating. I went to farmer's markets. I worked at farmer's markets on the weekends. I went to farmer's. I read uh, probably between my husband and I a hundred different books. We were online. We talked to people around the country. And we were just both, frankly, just didn't know, understand how did we get here. And then we started to understand how we got to this point. And we could... I can look back on all that, and it was about three months of investigation, and I realized um, this is this is just amazing how I can see how it happened, but we can't continue down this path. What are we going to do? Oh, my gosh. And so one day, my nine-year-old came up, and he said, all right, that's it. You've got to stop complaining about it or do something, because I can't stand it. Nobody invites us to dinner anymore. And I, <laughs> I looked at him, and I said, what are you, what are you talking about? So we have two friends that we would go to dinner at least once or twice a month to their home because, and he liked it because they have a pool. Each one of them has a pool, and the dads had big grills, and he could eat all this meat because he's a boy and now he's hungry and growing. So I called up the first one and I said, "So, um, Joe tells me that you don't invite us to dinner anymore, and and I haven't noticed that. Is that true? Have we not been there to dinner in a while?" And and she said, "Well, gosh, you know, finally she said, you know." That's all you guys talk about is antibiotics and bat slaughtering and horrible conditions and the vegetables have pesticides and they have all this genetic weird stuff going on and we don't really understand it, but we're serving you dinner while you're talking about it. And she was right, and we, we'd become fanatics. And so I, I um, then called my – and that always it just breaks me up because I – it was this was the moment. It was a menopausal angry woman decision but I called my other girlfriend she said the same thing and so I hung up and said fine I'm going to do this myself and I, I we I didn't know how I was going to do it I just I wanted to take control of that and make sure that I could let everyone I know know that this is the our food was terrible it, that's how extreme I was at the time and so we looked for about I don't know nine months we found the property and during that time um, we, I learned what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. I ran into all the Joel Salatin books. We copied what he did in Virginia and as far as how we were going to raise animals, chickens and pigs and cows, and we also in turkeys. And then I looked to what we could do with vegetables and, and fruit, and I could do some of that. I wasn't going to be as good at that as, as I wanted to be. That, that's the harder stuff is raising vegetables or growing vegetables. Raising the Animals turned out with Joel's books to be extremely um, 80% of it easy. And then there's 20% that's different because we're over here and he's over there. Um, good, good and easier sometimes, but he has flat ground. So there's kinds of fun stuff like that. But in that, in that time frame, I, I learned that I wanted to 
educate everybody I know, number one, about the food, that they have another choice, and then provide that choice for them so we could actually feed them, feed families. Even though I thought, who would ever buy anything from me? I'm in insurance. What would I know? <laughs> but I, you know, so there was, I had a little trepidation there, but um, so it's educate people, provide that food, do it profitably, and in the end, be able to educate the younger generation on how to do what we're doing on this side of the country while Joel's doing it on the, the west east coast and, and be able to help them get into land so they could become farmers that were that have a profit. It has to be done profitably to be sustainable and we, we have done that. We know that that can be done. We have the proof. You can look at our P&L. And so it was such a um, fascinating three and a half years we've been doing this now and we have just a thousand members that we feed every month, uh, families that we feed every month, chicken, beef, pork, turkey in season, vegetables. We actually went out, we couldn't raise enough vegetables for everyone that was in, is in our membership, so we went out to the other organic um, vegetable farmers around us, and then suddenly somebody said, but I make organic granola, so we carry Nancy's granola, and I make chocolate, and I have, we have McAvoy oil, and so suddenly, because we had so many members, we're now distributing products for people that might, may or may not have a distribution. So they bring their, our, our customers order it online, we add it to their vegetable and meat, meat box, and then we distribute that or, or uh, deliver it. So it's become quite a, a fun place. We're open 24-7, well, our store's open seven days a week during the daytime, but people can come to the farm that are members whenever they like. We do free tours. It's turned out to be the educational piece. We probably have 6,000 people have come through our free tours in three and a half years. We do them Saturday and Sunday. So it's people want the information. They don't want it shoved down their throat. They don't want to be frightened into it. What they want is to discover it and to give them an opportunity. And, and it was, it was, so it's been really fun. I don't have to fight. Um, I'm not out there fighting against Monsanto or, you know, Kellogg's or, you know, that's a job for someone else. And it's a good job, but I'm, I'm there to provide this educational piece so one of those members might show up that has political clout maybe that can say, hey, you know, I didn't know this was this bad. Let's see what I can do about it. And maybe they have those relationships. So it's, it's a... It's a piece of the puzzle, a piece of it that needs to be done, and it's the part that somehow fell into our lap. So, you know, maybe not fell into our lap, but I will say that I think Mother Nature has a really good sense of humor because now I'm farming, and I, I always kind of chuckle that I could use a manicure and a pedicure every now and then, but <laughs> that's just not in the cards. So, um, so that's kind of how we came about, and it's just been lovely. Well, I'm certainly really glad that you came it. about it, and. I have a similar background of um, – I'm from Ohio, so from a similar area. It's certainly very different than California. And for me also, which I think most people can tell from the name of the show, The Appropriate Omnivore, Michael Pollan's The Omnivore Dilemma was really what got me into all of this in the first place. And I talk to a lot of other people in farming, in, in restaurants, in you know, blogging that they've said the same thing, that it was from reading Michael Pollan's Omnivore's Dilemma, that it's it's such a – powerful book it was it's well written and he also has a second book for it's called the young edition it's actually in my opinion the better book even for adults from the standpoint of facts he's written it for a, a college age looking for a lot of facts not as much time spent on the philosophy 
And so it's also a really good book. Both are great, but um, it's just it's helped me prepare for speaking engagements and a lot you know different things that I do for education for all the tours that we do for kids on the farm too. So um, that that's one that I would always promote, especially for college or kids in high school to read. Even even junior high could read that. Oh, I think that would be great if they could all read it. Because for me, before reading it, I never had heard of what grass-fed beef was. And I, mean, I knew about organics, but I used to think, you know, people that shopped at, like, Trader Joe's and Whole Foods, it's like, oh, you know, there's, there's, there's so limited selection there and you're paying more money. But after reading that book, uh, totally changed. And now I know for your farm, you use the term beyond organics. So that's mm-hmm. a term that I know a lot of people use a lot of times that has different meanings to it. To you, what does beyond organic mean? Well, we we decided that um, the the thing that put us there in the first place is we looked at the, the kind of spark to the thing was we looked at what it would mean to get certified organic. And I looked at the a huge stack of paperwork and then the cost and then having someone have to fill out because you have to pay for that certification and someone has to fill out that paperwork all the time and it's a lot of work. And then I thought, okay, so what is that saying? What are we doing there? That actually, when I kind of looked at that, I went, okay, that keeps, that's another thing that keeps my customer responsible. Because the only way, in my opinion, that we can solve the, the health care problem, if you back all the way into it, is that we have to take responsibility for ourselves and stop asking our government to solve our problems. You can hand your government as much money as you want, and you're doing a lot of that. We all are in tax dollars. And they're not solving our problems. They're not able to get anything done lately because they're so much seem to be concerned about keeping their jobs versus solving our problems. And so to me, it's about what do I want to do with my dollar? And if I back into it, um, I can choose something different. But if I'm not accountable for my food, if I have a certification and I just look at that and say, okay, it's certified organic, huh? Well, if you start digging into that a little bit, just kind of sort of depends not always what you think it is. And, and then when you start looking at, well, if that food came from another country, how do I know that that's actually organic? How, how do I know that? And so how much policing is going on in that country to make sure that that food was raised appropriately? And, and that's just so cloudy to me. I really don't know how to answer the questions. And so I wasn't willing to trust someone else to tell me my food was healthy. So I didn't, I, we decided we're going to force our customers, if they want to be our customers, they have to look at our food. They have to look at how we raise and grow our food. And they can trust us if they want. That's okay. But they can come out here anytime. We want it to be completely transparent and say, come out here, take the tours, walk around, become part of the community, become part of the solution. You know, come out and help. You could come out and weed a row. You could come out and feed some of the baby pigs. You could come out... Just every once in a while, bring the family. Your kids need to see where their food comes from. You need to understand carbon sequestering, biochar, you know, microbial life, what all that means. Start learning about those things. You don't have to learn it all at once, but sure, come take a tour and learn that basics, those basics, and then become part of that solution. Become a member of the farm. This is where your food comes from, and then invite your neighbors. And so we don't have... You know, we're at a thousand members right now, families, and I, I, they like that. They're like, yeah, I don't spend the money. We've asked, do you, do you want us to be certified? And they said, no, 
it's too much money, too much effort. We don't trust that. We trust you. We can look you in the eye. We can walk around. We can see the, the weeds in the garden. We, can, we know you're not using Roundup Ready stuff. You know, you, we get that you're, you know, the animals are totally stress-free. They don't need any antibiotics. They don't need anything like that. So it's, um, it's, we call it beyond organic. There, well, there's no need for it. And, and there's a whole bunch of arguments on the other side of, well, you can't grow enough food internationally to feed people. There's a lot of discussion around that, and I disagree. You can grow enough food in all the different places in the world and help people manage their populations um, appropriately so they can have a sustainable lifestyle because throwing, throwing GMO and GE food and animals um, growing and killing microbial life is just the worst thing you can do. There's other solutions for that, and, and they're not discussed because they're, you know, they're coming from the small person like us versus the big companies. So I would, you know, so to me, that's beyond organic. That's what we would call it, accountability for your food. I certainly agree that it's important to know your farmer, and I know that's one of the things that Michael Pollan talks about in The Omnivore's Dilemma. And it's good because like the way I talked about earlier in the show about Trader Joe's, there being a salmonella outbreak in the peanut butter, just because something is labeled organic because it, it's come from a story you know, don't assume that it's you know 100% safe. It's best to actually see the production, see the farming, see how it actually goes through, which I think that's wonderful that you offer free farm tours. Yeah, it, it does help out. You know, the thing that's that's hard for the stores, the grocery stores, Trader Joe's or Whole Foods, whatever, is that we as a community or, or pe the people that eat all that food, we ex have expected, we grew up with this very low cost of food. We spend the least amount on food in the world. We spend the least amount on food of our, our um, spending dollar, our, our income on food. And it's, um, we have this idea that food should be cheap. What we don't really understand is that there's this thing called the farm bill. In the last five years, we spent $47 billion. It goes into the farm bill. That's your tax dollars, and most people don't realize that's a food subsidy. It goes in to pay for, 73%, I believe, goes to those large companies, the Monsantos and Kellogg's and um, Coca-Cola's and Dean Foods, all of those um, companies. And there's one, and that small little percent comes out to medium to big-sized farms, nothing. We, we would never get anything like that um, from tax dollars. So... There's this underlying premise, and I call it pushing food. If you push food in any type of food, if you push animals or you push plant, uh, vegetables or fruits, um, you, it's not sustainable ever. Because what happens when you push, it's kind of like this. We, we plant veggies and fruit in the ground and we harvest. And then we plant again and we harvest again and eventually find out we're not growing as much and we're not really sure why, and, and it's because we're depleting the soil. We're not changing what we're growing in that that particular bed we're not um, doing a cover crop we're not doing something to to put back into the soil what we're taking out in a natural way and then this guy comes along and he says hey why don't you put this on your soil and you could grow more food it's food for the plants but the problem is that chemical he just gave you that fertilizer it's temporary it poisons and kills off microbial life so the first year it works a bit and then the second year and the third year, you actually do produce more, but then you start producing less. 
Another thing you've done, because the guy told you it was a good thing, is that you grow the same crop, and everyone knows that's monocropping, that's one crop. What happens with that, though, is that a bug shows up that likes your crop, and it wants to eat everything, your 100 acres of the same crop, and that causes you to spray for that bug. And those pesticides kill more microbial life and in, that, that's in the soil, and over time, uh, the pesticides don't work as well, and the, the strongest of those bugs survives, and they breed. Now the pesticides have to be stronger. It kills more microbial life, so you can see that, that insidious circle. And then here comes another guy, and he says, hey, we can solve that problem for you. I've got a seed. Now, it's genetically engineered to withstand all of those herbicides. It's Roundup Ready. It can, you can spray everything around it, and it'll get rid of, rid of all the weeds but not the plant. Hmm, okay, so that's interesting. You need to consider what you're eating there. So you spray and you kill more weeds and, but not the plant and everything's fine and it, it goes again. But now the weeds come back slightly stronger. So now you need to have a stronger uh, herbicide to spray. And then the next year he comes back again, this guy, and he says, this poor guy, we'll call him Bob. What about Bob? Uh, <laughs> so Bob comes back again and he says, I've got something even better than this piece of this plant that can withstand the herbicides, you can start spraying pesticides on these, these plants because this plant, if the bug bites it, will, it will get poisoned by the plant itself. So if it bites a little kernel of corn, it will, the bug itself will be poisoned. Its stomach will split open and it will die. And we're feeding that to cows and people. And that's okay, though. I'm not really sure why the science doesn't continue on. It kills the bugs. What the heck? And so now we're really depleting the soil. We're killing all the microbial life, and we're poisoning the animals that eat that stuff and ourselves. And all in the name of pushing food. We want it to be quicker, faster, more, and we want it now, and we want to have what we want to have. And we need to feed the world. And then you think about what we do with the animals, and it's the perfect example. And Joel has said this in the most humorous ways. He's much better at this piece than I am. But we take these animals and we put them normally industrial ag. Chickens are in cages. Pigs are in pens. Cattle are fed corn until they're sick. All of these animals are raised in heavy-duty, stressful environments. So why do you need an antibiotic? Well, an animal gets sick. It gets sick because it's stressed out. It's in a closed environment, breathing fecal dust. It becomes cannibalistic because it's so stressed out and it's biting the 10 other pigs next to it in this tiny little pen where it can barely move. And we wonder why we have a healthcare issue. We wonder what, what's occurred there. So it's just an interesting thing to me that um, you look at the simplicity of the cycle that's been, we've, we've put, we have inputs into the cycle, this life cycle with vegetables, fruits, and animals, and our inputs have broken the cycle, and it continues to break the cycle. There's no cycle anymore, and it's this um, unending, not sustainable, will, will dry up and ruin soil. And if you, if you get to that point and create salt beds, it's over. And the, all the things that break down along the way, carbon sequestering, that's a big word, two words, and all it means is everybody knows that's been through eighth grade photosynthesis. Well, if you don't have grass out there photosynthesizing, 
then you're not bringing carbon into the plant that then gets broken up into energy. The CO2 gets broken up into energy for the plant, and the carbon goes back into the roots, back into the ground. And, and grasses do that 80% more than any other plant. But here in Northern California, we only have grasses six months of the year, actually green and photosynthesizing. We've overgrazed all the perennial grasses, so we don't have photosynthesizing going on six months, the other six months of the year. And so we broke that cycle by putting up fences and overgrazing, and there are no perennial grasses growing anymore. So it's an insidious, continual human inter intervention into a life cycle that was perfection. And we've broken it in so many different places. And we wonder why we have a healthcare crisis and we have a depleting ozone and climate change. It's so right in front of us. And I kind of chuckle that less than 1% of the population in our country eat healthy food. The rest don't. And part of them don't understand it. They don't know. I, I'll give a, that group of people. They don't have the information. It doesn't come to them. They don't have the education. But I find it fascinating that people I know that are friends of mine still will go to a McDonald's or into the grocery store and buy regular beef, regular chicken, knowing that it has antibiotics in it, knowing that it's bad for them. And they'll say, yeah, but it's too, your stuff's too expensive. And it's just, it's a hard one to, um, I kind of chuckle. And then in my meanest side, I go to, well, there's Darwin working for you. And then my other side is we have to save the world, but you can't save somebody that doesn't want to be saved. And so we've got, we're a lazy population that's, been overfed, over pampered, and we have a wake-up call coming that I think is going to be pretty ugly. And you know, I, I, I am doing all that I can. So that's my pushing food comment. You just can't push food and expect it to be okay. It's not okay. I think it's interesting that they bring up about how this grass-fed meat, this pastured food, sustainable, organic, is expensive. Because as I and Maybe my other colleagues will say, well, you know, you can pay now a little more for the food or you can pay later for the hospital bills. Yeah, or, or taxes. You know, it's in your taxes. It's in your hospital bill. You know, it's in, your, in the times you go out to the restaurant and eat food that's just not healthy. You know, we, a lot of our customers will say, gosh, I just realized I'm saving money actually on my food bill. I'm not in the grocery store doing impulsive buying. I even do that. I go in to the grocery store about once a month and I'll pick up something like, you know, oat milk or something like that that I want. And, and I end up buying stuff I would never have in the house. I would never have bought if I wasn't in the grocery store. And I don't think, um, it, it, so we end up spending all this extra money that we wouldn't normally have spent. And so there's, even though people feel like at the counter, the checkout counter for organic food, it feels like I'm spending more I'm actually spending significantly less money. Uh, SierraClub.org has a 15-minute uh, um, animated video called The True Cost of Food. And it's, it's funny and it's understandable by pretty much anyone. And it, it actually follows the cost of a steak. And, and it comes up with and has all of the research is printed underneath on, on the website. You can follow up with it. But it costs about $815 for one pound of steak, of industrial steak. And my steak, 20 bucks, all in, no more costs. And it's all environmentally sound. 
everything around that piece of steak is sustainable. And yet, when you, I can show that to someone, I can explain it, and, and only 1% of people actually say, yeah, you're right, I'm going to do something about this. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an educational thing, and, and it, people don't make that connection, even with the education, they don't connect. I am buying this food today. I had a, um, I, I had given a talk a couple of weeks ago and walked walk through all of this, and, and one of the gentlemen called me. He's a businessman up in Santa Rosa, and he said, I just had to tell you something. I just had a big group of my company over for their summer kind of picnic thing, and I had gone to the grocery store and bought the steaks and burgers and stuff like that for everybody. And when I started to cook it, I looked up, and I was so proud of my people and my company, and they worked so hard. And he said, I just I remembered what you said and realized I'm poisoning them now in the, in the sake of spending less money at the moment versus long term. And I pay for their health care. What am I doing? I thought it was hysterical, and he said, I can't believe I heard all of everything you said, and I still didn't connect. So to me, it's what causes us to decide that someone else will take care of the problem? You know, why do we do that as human beings? I, have, I don't have the answer to that. And some people look at it and change and understand it, and some people don't. So it's one of those, we're going to be forced to change what has to happen in order for the Monsantos of the world to say, you know, I'd love to sit down with the Monsantos of the world and say, hey, you can still be like this big, huge, honking company and make bazillions of dollars and do it in a healthy way. You, you can. You could actually do that. And, and, it, and I've thought through, what would they need to do? <laughs> and it's, it literally is slowly you could change and do the right thing and stop doing the wrong thing and just make it a pattern that in 10 years you're going to be fully changed, that you can grow healthy soil to grow healthy food and educate people. Everybody would want that. And, I, and those big companies could do it. I mean, you look at Walmart. Walmart gets a bad rap for all these reasons and whatever, but you know what? They're driving international global change in packaging. It's one of the biggest issues we have in the world is how things get packaged, and they're driving that change. Good for them. Good for us. You know, you look at um, Whole Foods. A lot of people in my part of the country up here will complain and say Whole Foods doesn't whole paycheck and they're this and that, but you know what? They're not perfect, but they created awareness more than any other other food grocery store out there, Whole Foods, just in its name. And there is many parts of the country where they have local food that's organic. You know, up here, you know, it's a struggle because the cost of the land is so expensive and I'm working my best. Right now we glean from Whole Foods. We go and get their leftover organic vegetables to feed to our animals. We partner with them. And the closer I get in, the more it's like, okay, so what if I made Whole Foods a drop where I could take people that live in Petaluma, could go to Whole Foods and pick up my food that puts them into the grocery store to get other things that are local. And we're talking about that. And it's a, it's a solution in working together to move this ridiculously huge ship needs to be turned around. And instead of, you know, fighting with all of these big companies, Sometimes there's a way to talk to them to show them why it would be in their best interest. And so I, I, I don't know Monsanto. I know I, I got to meet Bill Gates a couple of times, and he's, a, from what I understand, a big Monsanto fan. 
and some of the things I've read about, because he's all about with the um, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation of feeding, um, feeding the poor. And I got to tell you, if I was standing in front of children that you know weighed 20 pounds and were dying, I would feed them anything. But I might be in the background saying, how can I create a sustainable living structure for these people and teach them how to take care of themselves in the background also, not necessarily teaching them how to put fertilizers and pesticides and herbicides onto their soil until it's ruined. And so there's a, I wish there was a way to sit down with these people to say, you can make all the money in the world you want to make and you could do it the right way because you could. And, and, and more people would be employed. There's so many solutions to doing it the right way instead of creating this, this short-sighted, you know, very short-sighted business um, program that, that uh, the Monsantos of the world have been going on. And it's just sad because I know that there's smart people there. Why they would think that they couldn't just change a tiny bit and still make more money, it'd be fine with me. I don't really care how much money they make. If they just would take a long-term vision in their business practices. So I'm probably soapboxing now. I apologize. Oh, no. Well, I mean, you're soapboxing, but you have no disagreement from me (laughs) or I think from most of the listeners. And I like the part that you brought up about Whole Foods and Walmart. I think both because they are large corporations, they do get the message across. Like you said, people know what the term Whole Foods means. And with Walmart, in the documentary Food, Inc., Stonyfield Organics representative said – that he actually wanted to sell his thing at Walmart because so many people shop there that what a better way to get the name across of organics and of his company and you know, for people to see uh, access have access to buying an organic option. We'll continue talking about this in a second, but first we've got to hear a word from our sponsors. Wise Traditions Conferences bring a world of nutrition information to the health professional and health-conscious consumer, and the conference meals and exhibit hall reflect our dietary principles. Join us this September 15th to 16th, Buffalo, New York, for our second regional conference, or November 9th to 12th in Santa Clara, California, for our 13th annual international conference. Learn and grow in wellness. See more details on westonaprice.org. And we're back with Tara Smith of Terra Firma Farms. Now, Tara, a little bit ago, you were talking about the Sierra Club video, and I certainly agree with what the video says. My one concern about some of these videos like that, and specifically when it's from things like Sierra Club, is that they don't always talk about the idea of sustainable meat, and they make people think that like all meat is bad for the environment, all meat is bad for your health. Do you have any kind of concerns of people that take across this message, like if they just see the video on Sierra Club website versus you know going to your farm, hearing your lectures? Well, usually when I, I um, have that conversation, when I do talks or whatever, I have a one pager that I'll hand out to everybody, say here's all kinds of places you could go on websites. And and I, I say if I couldn't, if I didn't have options to eat healthy meat, I would be a vegan or vegetarian. I have those options. They are out there and they're all around me. I wouldn't have to have my farm in order to have those. So I usually am very clear on, on health, meat is real, healthy meat is real, really good for you. And it is dangerous. I've, I've seen too many people, um, start their children on a vegan or vegetarian diet. And unless there's some significant health reason for that, it is not healthy. 
and I, I've read I've read on everything I can read on both sides of those pages, and I, in my opinion, you know, and I no one not everyone will always agree with me, but in my opinion, from all the science that I've read, we can't if our society became vegan and vegetarian, um, we our soil would be depleted in short short term, and we would be starving because we can't grow enough calories and enough of the essential vitamins, omega-3 and 6 balances, CLAs, all the things that we need. And, and by the way, without animal, without mowing grass appropriately, is the best way I could say that, without pasture-raising animals and, and, and regrowing soils, um, we'll, you can't grow just vegetables that way. You have to have this regrowth in the soil, and vegetables don't do that. You wouldn't have enough. You have to have the fertilizers. You have to have microbial life. You have to have uh, the grasses growing to sequester carbon. It's a life cycle that we think in all of our arrogance that we can interrupt and say, you know what, I think that Mother Nature's wrong and I'm going to do it this way instead. Now, I do believe that, you know, it's the, the 12-ounce steak three times a day, even if it's healthy meat, you're probably going to gain a little weight there. If you have a sedentary lifestyle, if you sit at a desk all day long and talk on the phone and look at a computer, you probably don't want to be eating all of that. We need to eat, however, healthy proteins, healthy, healthy pork, healthy steak, healthy um, chicken and turkey. It's all really, especially in, in, you know, people freak out at this one, the fat from a clean animal is incredibly healthy for us. You know, it holds... Um, CLAs that can break down fat and proteins in our bodies. It's, you know, I, I, I kind of chuckle about five years ago before we started farming, I wasn't eating any healthy food, and I did my regular checkup. You know, I was 47, and I did my checkup, and, yeah, you know, my cholesterol was up there a bit. It wasn't into the danger zone, but it was a little high, and the doctor mentioned it, and, you know, the little bit of this and a little bit of that, and I'm like, gosh, you know, I, what's that all about? And and I, I worked out a bit, and you know, but I was a desk sitter primarily, even though I had kids, so I'm running off to school and whatnot. Um, and then about well, three, four months ago now, I went back in for a full scan, heart scan and all that kind of stuff, and um, the technician handed the results to the doctor, and he looked at it, and he said, this isn't right. Did this just not work? And he said, no, I ran it twice. I have the heart now and the cholesterol of an 18-year-old. There isn't a speck of plaque in there anywhere. I, and he said, what, what is up with that? And I, you know, compared to these last tests you had, what's the thing? What are you doing? And I said, I eat a ton of meat, but it's all clean. And I eat a lot of vegetables and fruit. I eat all of that. I eat pile of vegetables on my pork chop. I love pork chops. And so, but I... I have a really balanced, good, healthy diet, and I eat a ton of food. I have ridiculous amounts of food. I should be a very overweight person and would have been probably if I would be still sitting at a desk, and I, I'm not anymore, but um, I'm so happy to be on the radio show right now so I could sit down. And But I, it, it is, and, and, and actually my doctor um, was a vegetarian, and he said, I just, I just don't believe that. And I said, well, here are some things to go read. Check it out. You might. You never know. You could be telling all of your patients to stay away from that which would help them. You know, pasture-raised, completely clean, grass-fed beef actually helps with your cholesterol. It actually helps. And so it's a, and it's just an odd 
it shouldn't be an odd thing. It should be a normal thing that we all know and understand. But because we were pushing or continue to push food to go as fast as we can, make that cow as big as we can get it, give it as much crap as we can, excuse me for that word, but as much as we can to put into its body to get as huge and big and completely unnatural as we can get it so we can get one more tiny little pound of meat out of it as cheap as we can get it. It's just, that's just, you got to expect that not to work because this is biology. You can't change biology like that and expect not to have problems. And so, again, I always come back to, we, we, I think we all know what we should be doing and we're too lazy to change. We want convenience. We want, we want the iPhone 5, but I just got the 4, but I want to have what I want. And I deserve it, by the way, because I live here, I guess. I don't know why, why we have that going on either, but um, it's, a, it's a funny thing, and our culture has gotten really spoiled. We're at, it's almost like the United States is a um, teenager now. We've kind of grown up 200 years, a little bit more, and now we're a pesky teenager that just wants everything and doesn't want to earn it. You know, we're not an old European, yes, you don't, You take what you need and you give back and you're polite and appropriate and you respect the soil and you respect the food around you and the people and you're not so stressed out and they're not so running around crazy like we are. So anyway, the teenager analogy always kind of makes me laugh. I heard that somewhere else, but yeah, so soapboxing again. Right. Well, again, you know, uh, no disagreements with uh, <laughs> with uh, your soapboxing here, and I think uh, a lot of people make the the teenager analogy and make people laugh. So certainly worth uh, repeating again. Another thing I would say with the healthy fat from pastured meats, mm-hmm. and as far as um, not eating too much, is I find that when I eat the pastured meat, I find it easier to be satiated. I don't need to have yep. as much. Yep. It's true. I'm the same way. I, in the beginning, when we had our first chicken here, our first, my first pork chop, um, I couldn't eat enough of it. And it took, you know, a couple of weeks, and I found that I could split a pork chop, split a New York steak, you know. And, and I, and they're they're really well. Part of it is that they're very dense cuts of meat because we're not we're not adding anything. We're not shooting them up full of water or flavors or anything else our our beef is 21 days dry aged and so it's a heavy duty non-water thick piece of really the fat has condensed inside in that dry aging really amazingly tasty piece of meat and the pork chop we age a week and so it's it's actually you know lost that extra water that it would have in it and then it's never packaged in anything like water so you're not paying for any of that and that's another people find that you know, wow, I didn't need as much as I thought, or that chicken has so much meat on it, what's up with that? You know, another another interesting one, it's kind of funny on, on both sides of the fence, uh, Joel Salatin, when we started, I, I asked him what kind of chicken should I raise, and he said you should use the Cornish Rock. It's a hybrid that's meant, it's robust. It's a strong, robust animal that can take your temperature changes when it's out on pasture. So I, I you know, we got that bird, and and then and very occasionally we'll take a little heat for, well, that's a hybrid. Well, it's a bred bird. It's, it's like the strongest of those ten birds. This one has the biggest breast, so we'll breed that one. That's what a hybrid is. It's not genetically modified. It's, a, it's just normal breeding like you would for any kind of animal that you're raising or, or strain or line that you're raising. 
And um, and then, you know, the well, it, the Cornish rocks can't walk and they can't lay eggs. Well, that's not true. I've got a video today. Because we're in the, this part of the season, we don't have green grass out there. We glean or we go to vegetable farms, organic vegetable farms in, in the morning, early hours, and get the bolted lettuce, things like that, any of their bolted greens, and spend a couple hours, and that's called gleaning, taking those, put them in boxes, and, and feed to the animals. And I got the cutest video because I had been set, told a couple of weeks ago that Cornish rocks can't walk. And so I've got birds running at me because here I come with the greens. And it's the funniest thing. It's like Chicken Run, the movie, to see chickens running because <laughs> they go back and forth because, you know, they're big birds, and they, they run all over the place, our birds. It's how they're raised. That's the thing that's different. And I would, I would love to, um, I'd love to get everybody in a room that would say, um, here, here we are. Here's the extremes of everyone. And all of those are good. But how can we work together to move everything forward? and stop GMO and stop genetically engineering, trying to genetically um, engineer pork now is a frightening thing I've heard about and read oh. a little bit about that um, that'll be after the fish, that'll be the next animal that um, Monsanto's looking at, trying to get a patent on. And it's a frightening thing. It's like, why do that? Why would you do that instead of turn around and, and put all of your effort and money into growing organic, really clean, healthy food you could charge more for it we wouldn't have to have a 47 million or billion dollar farm bill or take some of that money you're you're getting from my tax dollars and do what's right for the soil and right for the animals and then hence right for the life cycle that includes us um but it's a um again i think that the the customer needs to be the one that's accountable for what they eat and people will find and it happens here every day Someone comes by to pick up their food if they're doing farm pickup, and they say, some, at least one customer will say, you know, we're saving money, or gosh, we eat, we eat less because we're we are satiated because of how healthy it is. Hundreds of chefs have come through here to buy the bacon because of the clarity and the fat. It's clear, and that's what they bake with, or um, you know, cook with, or what you know, all the different stuff. It's just a funny. There's a, a run on pork back fat, which I've, you know, of course, I never heard of any of this stuff. And, and it's shocking to me they want to scrape the fat off to, to bake with. It's shocking. But the stuff tastes phenomenal that they make. I always get the, we, people bring their pate here and their different types of croissants and breads and cookies and cakes and all kinds of stuff that gets made and we get to taste it. I'm surprised they don't weigh 300 pounds, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a whole different way of eating that creates health it it creates health in your body and so we don't need all of the drugs and the you know um the, what our healthcare system has become such a mess every something you don't feel good take a drug why not just eat health and get a little exercise have a little less stress that would be that actually might solve your problem versus mask your problem and the, getting into the whole healthcare industry is a, a whole another topic, another radio show. But I could talk about that for hours. And it's very sad that uh, our our society has decided that is the only way to solve my health issue is to take a pill, and it's costing us billions of dollars to do it on every every aspect of that. And all we need to do is just work out a little bit, get some exercise, 
and eat healthy. And it's right there in front of you. You had mentioned earlier that, you know, the healthcare costs of eating badly, you got that straight. The problem with that is, is um, not only does the person have to pay, their company has to pay, the government has to pay. It comes right back to my taxes. I'm funding people eating bad food. I have to pay for that out of my taxes. And, I, you know, at some point it's not, it's not right. We know it's the wrong thing to do. Why do I have to pay for you or whoever to eat at McDonald's? Because in the long run I have to pay for you because you get sick. And then the healthcare industry has to take care of you. And so I, and that, that all comes from my tax dollars. I find it fascinating um, that we like to blame the insurance companies and, and the Monsantos and the Walmarts and, of the world. If we stopped buying the food, if we stopped buying the production or whatever that, that product is that those companies put out that we don't like, they'll change. They'll change on a dime. But we don't stop buying because we want what we want. And I, I think we have the power. You know, if you don't know the um, uh, Rosa Parks story, you know, she sat on the front of the bus and then Martin Luther King came out and they did this year in three weeks of um, raising awareness and flyers everywhere and protesting and all this good stuff. The final thing that happened was that though that opened up the buses to everybody because for that year and 13, three weeks, year and three weeks that the buses were closed to anybody but white folks um, was the government was subsidizing those buses and they finally got enough pressure to stop and when they stopped subsidizing the buses said you can go wherever you want, sit wherever you want, whatever you need. It was those spending dollars that they were after. And we could do that as a, as a society, is just say, I'm not buying that anymore. I'm only going to buy this. Then Whole Foods would be able to say, okay, it's going to cost more because Tara's chicken is $7 a pound. And so that's a $25 chicken. Are you willing to pay for it? Yes, I'm willing to pay for it. Okay, then they'll come and buy so many of those from me that I can do a wholesale price for them so they can make a little bit for running the store. And then everybody could go to Whole Foods and get my chicken. You know, and it, but they have to be willing to pay for it. But they also should be expecting on the other side that their tax dollars should, should decrease. They should be paying less taxes because we don't need a farm bill anymore. Other than to support organic farms to begin. And so it's that we have the power to make this change. We have to get educated. People should attend the conference. The Wise Traditions Conference is a phenomenal conference to get educated. And, you know, even if you're a staunch vegetarian, go check it out. You never know what you might learn, and there might be something you can share. But I, I do believe we need to stand up as individuals and then together as a society to say, we're not doing that anymore. We're only going to buy healthy food. And we don't have to have everybody. If, if you've read the tipping point, 8 to 13% of the population chooses healthy food, we will get what we want. That's all we need is 8 to 13%. And, and we'll be able to, to provide organic, healthy, real food and solve this cycle of nightmare or lack of cycle right now, <laughs> but create that life cycle that, that works so well um, if we could just make that one decision. Well, certainly. Certainly a lot to think about, uh, Tara. It's been great to have you on our show. And I'm, yeah, I like what you said earlier. You could do uh, talk with two hours more. I know I would and many other listeners I think would. So anyway, thanks for coming on our show and uh, certainly um, – for people that want to learn more about your business, then go to terraformafarms.com, 
Tara, thank you so much. And uh, that is it for The Appropriate Omnivore this week. For more information about my guest, my appetizers, which I talked about earlier in this show, and also some recommendations of how to live appropriately during the upcoming week, please visit my website at appropriateomnivore.blogspot.com. Next week, we continue with the Wise Traditions Conference speakers with Judith McGrary of the Farm and Ranch Freedom Alliance.